grab your Bible and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20, okay? We have a, a few more weeks in, in this series that we've been spending a lot of time in where we're going through the great historical book of Acts. And, and today, as we continue through Acts, we, we, all right, we're continuing to watch him and we're gonna see him towards the end of his third missionary journey as he essentially kind of is walking with God ultimately to his death, all for the sake of getting the gospel of Jesus to as many people in the world as possible. And I'm really excited to look at this chapter with you because I think that there's gonna be, uh, there's gonna be a lot of encouragement for us. I was encouraged as I was studying this and reflecting on it, but I think it's gonna come with kind of like a, a weighty challenge as we consider Paul's life here, okay? So this is what we're gonna do. We're just gonna read this, okay? We're gonna read this whole chapter. I'm gonna give you a flyover of what's going on. And then I'm gonna pull out a few things to apply to our lives, okay? So Acts Chapter 20, verse one is where we're starting. This is what we see. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Pater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us in Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them in Troas and we stayed for seven days. Okay, so, so Acts chapter 20 really just kind of begins with giving us like a, a flyover of, of the history of where Paul went and, and what Paul did. And it really just describes Paul's ministry of encouraging the churches, most of which he started. And, and this, this, this idea of, of encouragement is a key theme in this chapter, the, the verb parakaleo, which means to encourage is used three times in, in verses one and two and then verse 12. And then really the whole rest of the chapter of, of Acts 20 is, is we're watching Paul. We're seeing the content and the ways that he encouraged people. And we'll come back to that. But as you see in the midst of his travels, like Paul is always getting hunted down. People are trying to kill him because he won't stop talking about Jesus. So it changes his route. And this is what we see. Verse seven, on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank deep into sleep as Paul talked still longer. So sleeping people at church didn't bother Paul, okay? And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, taking him in his arms and said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. All right, so, so Paul ends up in Troas as a result of being rerouted. He's hanging out with these early Christians, these early believers. He's with them all night. And he's talking with them for so long that a, a, a boy actually falls asleep and he falls out a window to his death. And, and I know that some of you think that I go for a long time, but I haven't gone for this extent yet. So I feel all right about myself. If this happens, like we'll, we'll think about adjusting our service. But, but what happens guys in this moment is this just miraculous event where Paul raises this boy back to life. And this is the last of eight occurrences in the Bible of, of someone being raised back from the dead. But as he did this, okay, God was glorified, his power over death was made known. And in verse 12, if you look back, as Paul does this, the believers are, are greatly encouraged. 
Okay. And now here's why they're so encouraged. Okay. It's partly probably because this boy isn't actually dead, but I think it's more so because God's power was seen. All right. Cause it's important for us to know that the miracles in the Bible guys are, they're never the point. The miracles are never the point, but God uses miracles to drive home a point. And as Paul raises this boy back to life, this is a moment that God was breaking in to show his power to validate what Paul was talking about, what Paul was preaching about. God uses miracles to to validate what Paul is saying about Jesus, that everything that, that Jesus is, that everything that Jesus said, that everything that Jesus did encouraged these people as they watched God kind of put his stamp of approval and say, true. And they were encouraged. And here's what we have next, verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, he took us up, he took, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samus, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had to decided to sail past Ephesus so that he, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. Again, we see seemingly, maybe you view this and it just seems like random history, like kind of pointless facts. But I want you to know, guys, what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is, is breathed out by God and it's profitable. That's true here. Because what this means is that all these seemingly like minor details of, of times and locations, these destinations and these timestamps, they're, they're not pointless, but what they do is they serve to kind of bolster the, the historicity of the Bible. And Luke is a physician, he's a historian, and he's, as he's narrating Paul's journey here, he's, he's recording a fine history so that we can have certainty into what's going on. I mean, even as he wrote the Gospel of Luke, in, in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, he, he writes that he's writing an orderly description so that we have, may have certainty in all that Jesus did and said. All right, that the Bible isn't just about like spirituality or philosophy. The Bible is about history of things that actually happened. And so it can encourage us, it can encourage them. Let's keep going. Verse 17. Now from Miletus, he set to Ephesus, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor of precious to myself, if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that some of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Take care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. 
Therefore, be alert, remembering that three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those that were sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. All right, so he's on this journey. He stops. He brings together the elders, the, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and, and basically says, you're never going to see me again. I need to tell you some significant stuff. And he says, because I am gone. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but you're not going to see me again because I'm probably going to die. You need to take the baton. You need to lead the charge. You need to lead well for Jesus. You need to take care of the church. And he says, here's how you do it. As a leader in the church, this is what you do. Follow my example. Paul says, follow me. Like you saw how I live. Just do what I do and you're going to be fine. And then he warns them of like potential pitfalls that will come and threats that will come to, to hinder the movement of the gospel and, and to tear people away from Jesus. And then he just commits them to God. And after this, we, we see this, this tearful goodbye. Look at verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would never see his face. And they accompanied him to the ship. All right, this is like a heartfelt moment that these people, like there was a deep friendship, a deep love, a deep commitment. They had gone through trials together. They'd suffered together. They'd seen the church spread together and they're saying goodbye and they knew that they would likely never see Paul again on this side of heaven. And so this is what's going on. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look back to verse 24. All right, look at verse 24. To my estimation, this is really the key verse in this chapter. All right, but verse 24 says this. Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself if I may only finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I guess this is really kind of Paul's overarching posture that we not only see here in Acts 20, but really all throughout his letters in the New Testament. I mean, for example, in, in 2 Timothy 4, 7, the last letter that he writes, right before his execution, he writes to Timothy and he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race, I, I kept the faith. All right, that Paul lived his life to, to finish the race, to finish this course that God had set out for him. Now, like we always do, when we come to the Bible, guys, we, we ask questions. And, and here, the question for us to ask is, is what is Paul's course? Like, what is this race that he's running towards? What is this race that he's seeking to finish? And, and really, what does this mean for, for me as I sit in my house, my apartment in Madison, Wisconsin? What does it mean for us? And, and, and I'll tell you this, guys. For Paul, as we've been watching since his conversion in, in Acts 9, he's just this single-minded guy. The most important goal of his entire life was telling others the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15 where he comes on the scene and he says, we talked about this last week, that I delivered to you of first importance. More important than anything, more important than everything is that you just know Jesus, that he died and he was buried and he raised for you. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says that he gets up. It's like the thing in his life that compels him forward is that every morning he gets up, his feet hit the ground. He wants to share the gospel with somebody and lead someone to Jesus. Because this is a driving force in his life. It's really, honestly, it's what Jesus reinforced in, in Luke chapter 10. Do you remember that? When we, like a year ago, when we were going through Luke's gospel, 
You remember what happened in Luke 10? Right? A, a guy comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandments? And, and Jesus reinforces the truth in Luke 10. It's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Because this is the course that Paul was running. Right, and this is really what Acts is all about. And this isn't even just like an Acts thing. This isn't even just like a, a Paul thing, but this is like a, an us thing. Like this is our race. Like as Christians, we love God and we love people. And so for those of you who are Christians, guys, let me just encourage you, like don't overcomplicate it. Don't let religion sneak in and make it about a checklist, a bunch of stuff. Like this is it, love God, love people. And even for those of you who are tuned in and, and maybe you're not Christians, but you're, you're here on this live stream, let me just encourage you, like don't let culture, don't let your interactions in the past with like just wackos that claim the name of Jesus, don't let that muddy the water for what Christianity is all about. Because it's this, it's Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people, period. This is it. And for me and my time in this chapter, Here's, here's what grabbed me, okay? Two things. The first thing that just gripped me was how I saw the love of Paul expressed as he ran his race throughout his life. And then the second thing was this explanation of, of how Paul did this, like what compelled him to love in this way. And so I wanna spend the rest of our time today considering these things, okay? So the first thing, the love of Paul and how it was expressed throughout his life as he ran this race. And again, I want you to hear this, guys. This is not unique to Paul, but this is an example for us that, that God wants to use the great servant Paul as an example to us to show us like what he saved us for, like what our lives should look like. And the first thing we see is this, as Paul was loving God and loving people, running the race, his love was expressed by serving. Look at verse 18, all right, Paul's talking, look back, he was talking to the Ephesian elders and he says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. He's saying, the first day I set foot in your life, you knew my life, and circle this next part, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul viewed his life primarily as, as serving the Lord. Now, what does this mean, right? I mean, because if you've been around the church for a while, like we can get like the Christianese talk down and we can say, serving the Lord, sure. Yeah, but what does it actually mean to, to serve the Lord? And this is a big question because Paul says, like you, you saw my example, like I served the Lord. So we have to look at what this means. And, and Paul gives us a glimpse of this by showing us his life, that he's showing us that a person who's serving the Lord is marked by a lot of things, but specifically here, look, they're humble, they're tearful, and they're willing. Look back to verse 19. Paul says, I'm serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happen to me. So I want to I wanna just consider this because I think there's some, there's some things for you for us, okay? When we look at this idea of, of humility, all right, humility is ultimately like a, it's a posture towards God that, that he is God and, and I am not. All right, it's, it's this spirit of just like, total surrender of, of yieldedness, of submissiveness to God as king, recognizing that it's not about me, it's all about him. And it's this feeling, humility is this feeling of being indebted to God. 
and indebted to the people of this world because of how God has so graciously treated me through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Guys, humility, hear this, guys, humility is the opposite of feeling that everybody owes me something. We live in a world where, I mean, you see this, like everybody, you owe me something. Guys, humility doesn't think in terms of rights. It doesn't think in terms of what you're owed, but it empties itself and takes the form of a servant. This was Paul's life. He, he served. This was Jesus' life. He served. He gave of himself even unto death and death on a cross. Humility. Now, along with that, Paul mentions that he served the Lord with, with tears. And in serving the Lord, I would say, if you're really serving the Lord, it, it causes tears. All right, and these tears can come from a lot of different ways. I mean, they can come from like just disappointment to frustrations. It can come from just overwhelming joy. But for Paul, guys, I'm inclined to believe, because if you look back to verse 31, I'm inclined to believe that Paul's tears in verse 31, where he says, I did not cease day and night to admonish everyone with tears, that his tears were tears of just intense yearning, intense longing for people to know and live with God through faith in Jesus. Because serving the Lord means loving what God loves, hating what God hates. We know that God loves people. Like serving the Lord, like this means like, it's, it's really the inability for us to be unaffected when you see people in dire need of God. And so I'll ask you the question, guys, I mean, really practically, does it break your heart when you see somebody who's far away from God, that doesn't know the truth of the gospel? Like, have you cried tears for people that they would come to Jesus? And I know some of you guys, when we talk about crying, you know, you've heard like, real men don't cry. Guys, that's just garbage. Real men don't cry for the wrong reasons. But the things that break the heart of God should break our heart. And what breaks God's heart breaks our hearts and we cry. I mean, I think of Jesus. Paul says he has tears here. Jesus, we see him cry two times. Once because his friend Lazarus dies. The other time he, he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he sees people, a myriad, a multitude of people. And he knows that they don't know God. And what does he do? He doesn't get angry. He weeps. Because for me, I, I think I cry more today than I ever have in my entire life. And that's not because I'm like becoming like an empath, right? Or it's getting super emotional or anything like that. But I think it's because like, as I submit myself to God, as I serve the Lord, he's changing me. Romans 8, 29, being conformed to the image of Jesus is happening. He's softening my heart. He's giving me new eyes to see people the way that he sees people. And what breaks the heart of God breaks our hearts. And so humble and tearful, and Paul mentions this idea of trials, which means just says that someone who's serving the Lord is willing to do whatever it takes to glorify God, even if it hurts. As it's someone who's serving the Lord doesn't walk the path of least resistance, but walks the path of the most glory to God. And sometimes that will mean that you'll stand up for the truth when it's not popular. 
And sometimes that will mean that you'll go one way when everybody else is going the other way. And sometimes that'll mean that you'll stand up and say something when everybody sits down and remains quiet. And sometimes this will mean that you will live in such a radical way that the culture and the world around you will just label as weird and you will be mocked and rejected. But I just want you to hear this. This is what Jesus did for you. And so we can ask ourselves, like, am I serving the Lord? Like, am I humble before God and following his ways? Am I, am I tearful over the people that don't know Jesus? Am I willing to walk with God and follow him no matter what it costs me? And these are just like sobering questions, guys, right? I mean, they're, they're sobering. Now, before you kind of go down a road and say like, oh my gosh, like, no. Like, let me just say this, guys. As your pastor, like, I see it. I see it all over our church. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I'm so proud to be part of this church. I see people serving the Lord. I mean, you're humble that you're following Jesus, that God's word to us in the Bible is being shown throughout your life, that your life as you live in the everyday stuff of life in Madison, your life is screaming out and saying the right thing about God. You're tearful. I see people deeply desiring for people to know Jesus. I've been with you as we've sat there and we've prayed for your family, for your coworker, for our friends, and we cry tears just begging God to do something because we know how people are living away from the glory of God. And you're willing. You're willing to walk with Jesus even if no one else will. And to that, guys, I say, let's go, right? I mean, let's keep going. God is being honored. People are being loved. The gospel is advancing. Doc, so let's keep serving the Lord together. The second thing we see of Paul is that as he loved God, as he loved people, as he's running this race, his love was expressed by giving. All right, and we use this language. I don't know if you've picked up on this. If you've been through Doxa 101, you've heard us say this a lot, but we use the language of, of giving of our time, talent, and treasure. And I wonder if you ever thought about like where we got that. Like maybe you think like, okay, that's just, oh, three T words. That's clever. Maybe they're just trying to like motivate us to do something, right? Or they read it in the leadership book. Because you know where we got that from? The Bible. I mean, we get this from looking at people like Jesus, men like Paul here. I mean, look, consider Acts 20. Look back. He gave so much. I mean, of his time. Look back to verse 7. He himself available. In verse 7, it says, on the first day of the week, when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. I want you to circle in your Bible, talked. Intending to depart on the next day as he prolonged his speech until midnight. Guys, this word talked is a Greek word in which we get our word in English, dialogue. And so what this is pointing to is that Paul didn't just like, he didn't swoop in as like a, a holy seagull just kind of swooping in and dropping the gospel and then coming out, right? He, he didn't just pre He spent time with them. He dialogued with them. He, he grew as friends that he answered their questions. He knew their lives. And even here, as he was about to go on a long journey the next day, his love for people made him give of his time, made him, made him available to people. Even in verse 20, if you look, it says that Paul went from house to house. Like he was in people's houses. He was in people's lives, like giving of himself. He gave of his time, of his talent. Look back to verse 20. Paul says, I, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and for teaching you. And now this is true of every Christian, we should open our mouths and proclaim the truths of Jesus. But Paul was a, was a gifted communicator, that God had given him a talent to, to talk and to, to preach and to teach. And, and Paul used that for the glory of God. He used his giftedness so that as he proclaimed the truths of God in just a captivating way that people were able to see and hear and experience the goodness of God, that Paul used his talent 
for God and for people. And the truth is we all have talents that God has, has given us. And, and we're not just to use them to, to get rich, to, to get fame and to get power and success, but we're ultimately to use them to serve, to serve God and to serve people. So time, talent, and then look back, treasure. Now Paul loved, or like loved so well that he gave of his money. He gave to poor people, to needy people, to afflicted people. I mean, if you read Romans and Corinthians alongside Acts chapter 20, you actually get an explanation of why Paul was journeying to all these different places to go to Jerusalem. That he was going to all of these places on his way to Jerusalem to collect money for poor people in Jerusalem. And maybe you can say, well, that's not generous. He's just getting people's money to give away. But he, got, he loved so much that he gave of him his own. Look at verse 33. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands, I picture Paul saying like, guys, see my hands, you remember this. These hands ministered to my necessities, but look at this, but not just me and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown, that, shown you that by working hard in this way, or that Paul, he worked hard. He had a, a tent making business, right? He got money and he was using it to give to people that we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because Paul was a generous giver and he expressed this love for God. He expressed his love for people by giving. And as I was thinking about this, it, the Apostle John's words popped in my head where he talks about like the inseparable link between giving and loving. In 1 John 3.16, he says this, that we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And so listen to this. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees his brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, Let's show the truth by our actions. Like John, like just can't fathom. Like how can you say that you have the love of God and not love people by giving to them? Jesus, Paul, like I, I just hear like talk is cheap. That's what, that's what I hear. Rob, talk is cheap. Like Christians, we're, we're so good at like talking the good game of what we should do, but our actions oftentimes like we don't. Talk is cheap. Except for Paul. He talked it and he lived it. And his love was expressed in giving. And again, guys, I love it because I see this all over our church. I see people who are beginning to be givers. You're giving of your time. I mean, so many of you, you're opening up your houses, letting people stay with you that don't have places to stay. You're visiting hospitals. You're, you're visiting with people in prison. Like even when it's not convenient for you, when you don't have time, you're, you're there, you're giving of yourself. You're making yourself available to love God and to love people to serve the Lord. Giving of your talent. Like we have so many gifted people in our church that you're using your gifts to glorify God and for the good of our city by serving in so many different ways. And treasure. Guys, it's incredible to see what our church has done and how we've responded to this pandemic. All right, you know, when this whole thing started, I remember being with our, our leaders and our, and our staff and our elders and like we started to think, the first thing that popped in our head is like, if this thing gets as bad as they say it is, like people are gonna lose their jobs. And we didn't know this was gonna happen, but it's like people are gonna lose their jobs and there's gonna be suffering, hurting people that are gonna need help. Like we need to make sure that we can help and be the church. 
And so if you remember, like we had that last minute, like um, Facebook live event where we got everybody together. And I just said like, here's one of the things guys, we wanna exist for the glory of God and the good of our city. We need to give so we can help people. And I just said like, this is one of the ways and we set up a COVID relief fund. And I said, if anybody wants to give and, and all of a sudden people started like blowing me up on text and saying, how do I give? Can I just send it to you? I'm like, no, don't send money to me. And I call our tech guy and like late at night, I'm like, can you set this up? And guys, we've had thousands of dollars given to this COVID relief fund. And we've been able to use that to help suffering families that can't afford milk and eggs and soap at Badger Rock Middle School and Lincoln Elementary because we've been able to use this to help single moms that have been laid off, that don't have the means to, to pay for their rent. Like we're able to do this, it says the right thing, we're giving. So guys, let's go, let's keep going, let's keep living in the example of Paul, which is really the example of Jesus for God's glory and the good of our city. And then finally we see this, Paul's love expressed by his testifying, All right? And this isn't a word that we, we use a ton. I mean, I, I see this in some like memes you know, something like someone says something, you're like, testify, right? I don't, I don't ever do that. But verse 20, we, we see this idea. I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Paul, guys, he, he saw himself as, as a messenger who was sent to testify to the message of the gospel that was given to him. And, and to testify, this is just a courtroom term, right? When people are called to, to testify in a courtroom, what they are there to do is simply just open up their mouth and say what they've seen and what they heard and what they know. This is what Paul, he saw the resurrection, he heard the gospel and the words of Jesus, and he was going and telling, he was testifying. And, and we have this negative connotation in our world today, right, of, of testifying. But you just need to understand, guys, this is the most loving thing that Paul could do. Like we don't want to be preached at. Like you, you hear that, like that, that book was good, but it's a little bit preachy, right? But as Christians, guys, this is the most loving thing that Paul could do. It's demonstrated by what he says in Romans 1.16. If you remember that, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Like I, I'm not ashamed to testify. Why? Because it's not his opinion, but it's the power of God to save everyone who believes. And this was really kind of like the, the height of love for Paul. I mean, think about it like this, Doxa. Not testifying, not giving away the gospel of the forgiveness of sin to the people around you. Guys, this would be the equivalent of you today going into a hospital, walking into a COVID-19 ICU with the vaccine in your back pocket and you just standing there and watching people suffer and die on their hospital beds knowing that what you have in your back pocket could save them. And if someone knew that you did that, I mean, the natural question was like, how much do you have to hate somebody to not give them the vaccine that could save their life? And guys, this is like a, a dramatic example, but it's true with the gospel. Christian, this is true of you. That's why Paul lived the way he lived. He loved the people of the world that God loves to such an extent that he did everything that he did, could do to get that vaccine, to get that gospel out to as many people as possible. 
and tell them that Jesus loves you, that Jesus lived for you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus was buried for you, that Jesus rose for you, that Jesus will take your sin if you come to him in faith. And this is a massive part of what he shared with the elders here. He told them to remember the gospel, to keep the gospel, to love the gospel, to give the gospel, to preach the gospel, to protect the gospel, that it was all about the gospel of Jesus for Paul. And so guys, do you have that same feeling? Like, do do you love like that? Do you open your mouths to testify to the gospel that the hope that your family member, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers will, will escape eternal death, find eternal life, and come to know Jesus? It's a big question. And again, I love that I can stand up here and, and look into this camera, picturing all of you in this room with me, and say that I, I see this in our church. Like, we see this in every baptism story that we have. Like, someone's just like, they don't word it like this, but it's like, how'd you become a Christian? Like, well, someone came to me and testified. They, oh, they opened their mouth. They just told me about my sin. They told me about their Jesus, and, and I found forgiveness. This is it. We hear this all the time. And so Paul, as he, he loved through his serving, his giving, his testifying. Now, here's how we're going to end the big question. Because if this is an example for us as Christians of how our lives should look like, how do we actually have this kind of love? How do we have this posture of verse 24? Like maybe you, you see this and, and maybe you're, you're hearing this and, and it kind of just seems like another thing to add to the checklist of your life. And or maybe you're hearing this and it, and it maybe makes you like a little overwhelmed and, and sad and you're thinking, okay, I get it. Okay, to be a good Christian, I get it. I need to serve more. I need to give more. I need to go door to door and knock and tell people about Jesus. And in the thought of maybe adding all of this to your life and trying harder, maybe it just feels too much. Maybe it even feels like religious. I need you to hear this. Guys, it's not about you trying harder. But it's this. Guys, when the gospel is deeply rooted in you, it comes rushing out of you. All right, and the gospel rushing out of you is what we see for Paul here. All right, because this is big. Hear this. The gospel is like the fuel for all that we see of Paul. That's the fuel for, for loving God and loving people. That the things I showed you of Paul today, it's, it's not bringing about behavior modification to God's people. No, these things are, are evidences of the gospel in us. I mean, you can view it like this. If there's a fire burning in a fireplace, the natural result is there's gonna be smoke coming out of the chimney. That You don't have to create smoke. You don't have to manufacture smoke. You don't have to work it up and do all that. It's a natural result. Guys, the same is true for the life of a Christian that when we're close to God, when the gospel is in us, it naturally, it compulsively comes out of us. These things that Paul lives, his, his serving, his giving, his testifying, his loving God, his loving people, it's the result of the gospel. He's compelled by the love of God in him. And in verse 24, when he talks about running his course, he, he says in that very verse what the fuel is. It's the grace of God. And so our takeaway for this is this, guys. Like, sure, we have these, we have these metrics, this, these benchmarks of like, this fruit of our life, of what it looks like to race and run well. But in order for us to live those lives, in order for us to live the lives that Jesus died so that we could have, in order for us for to continue what Jesus started is the whole big point of Acts. It's only by us being gospel people. You need to know the gospel, be reminded of the gospel, preach the gospel to yourself, be affected and transformed. And all of this will go. Get one thing right, Doxa. 
the gospel of Jesus for you. And that will compel you to go to the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of Paul, your, your great servant. God, I, I pray that even as I see his life and his love and the way that it's expressed, God, would you I'll remind me of the gospel? Would you remind me of the first time that I heard the sweetness of the words, Jesus loves me, that Jesus died for me? God, would you remind me of that? Would that just well up in me as worship, wonder, awe, and praise? And would that compel me to live like Jesus for the sake of the world? And God, would that just not be true of me, but for our church? God, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of just all the loss and the suffering of our world today and eternity, like just, like the world needs more people like Paul. The world needs the church to be deeply rooted in you, Jesus. And so would you help us to be those people? Would you remind us of this gospel? I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So guys, I'm gonna invite you, if you're sitting on your couch, to stand up. We're gonna close and, and worship. And let me just say this, guys. I don't want you to think, if you have, are not a Christian, you're, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, because it's, it's not about you trying to do a bunch of stuff first. It's coming to Jesus first. And as we sing this song, I pray that, that you would understand God's love for you that you would understand that he died for you, that you would take a step towards him and just let him save you, let him change you, transform you, and then this message of Paul would push you forward. And so let's raise our voices together and sing. Mm -hmm.